ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. I remember as a kid, one of the first things that I thought I could draw really well was a cute little bridge that ran between two hills. Because even though bridges are practical and can be relatively nondescript, they're also romantic and beautiful and hold significant cultural heritage. Bridges not only physically connect people, but they can be tourism draw cards and just vital in the daily runnings of a town and a community. So what happens when the bridge is broken? Bridges are political and they can divide people both literally and emotionally and getting them fixed for whatever reason is easier said than done. So why? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Ed Gannon, Director of Media Means and the former editor of The Weekly Times. Ed, a warm welcome to the Conversation Hour. Thanks, Rochelle. Bridges, we kind of just take them for granted, really, don't we? And it's not until they're broken or they're being debated that we realise how significant and important they are. Why is that? Well, the bridges, I mean, we take them for granted until they're broken because once they're broken, it can cause so much hardship for people. I mean, you, t- you can talk about a 100-kilometre detour for some people having to make for a what you think is probably an insignificant bridge on a on a backcountry road. And that's why they're so important. Mm. But, you know, they're, they're one of those things that they're best left um, unnoticed and unseen because they're always operating. Do they cost a lot of money in your time at the Weekly Times, they do seem very political, that they are highly debated bridges, either within the community itself as to maybe where a bridge should or shouldn't be built, how much money should be spent to repair one, what they should look like, and for whatever reason, similar to roads, I guess, in that politically, they're kind of not sexy, are they, to say, hey, we're going to spend a heap of money just maintaining that bridge. Yeah, they're political because they 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 often find themselves in the middle of a political fight because of the amount of cost to upgrade old bridges, particularly old wooden bridges. I mean, once upon a time, there was wooden bridges everywhere. Mm. You don't see them that much. And so they have to be repaired or or replaced. And then that becomes a case of, right, well, who, who repairs it? So does the local council repair it? And then the local council, will, which gets funded by federal, uh, by ratepayers, but also to federal funds, but also to the state governments involved. And so then it becomes three arms of government mm. having this constant battle about we need more money to fix all these bridges. And as I said, it, it only takes a little bridge to cause a lot of problems onto other roads and then pours a lot of problems on on bigger bridges because there's more traffic that goes onto that. One of the bridges that we're going to put a spotlight on today is probably a bridge that you've been covering for years. It needs to be fixed at the moment and the community has been rallying for multiple times to try and fix it is the Kerwins Bridge. Now, you were there not too long ago. Why is this bridge so significant? Well, Kerwins Bridge, it's near Nagambi. Um, it's actually the town of Kerwins Bridge or the, or the locale of, of Kerwins Bridge at the, at the, uh, the, the top of Lake Nagambi. It's significant because it's a, a very long wooden bridge. It's about three, a bit over 300 metres long. Um, it's really unusual. It's one of the longest in the state, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and certainly the longest, I think, that's being used in its current structure. It's a really interesting bridge because it has a curve in the middle of it, a bend in the middle of it, and it's also too got those those great things where you actually drive along and you can pull off to the side in these little coves to let a car oh. pass you. So one of those bridges when you drive over it goes... It does, it does. And I was in the Gamby last September and because we'd covered Kerwin's Bridge so much, Probably about 12 or 13 years ago when there was a big push to close the bridge and the, and the locals really got behind it and, and kept it open. Because it covered so much, I thought, I'll, I'll go and have a look at it. And that was in uh, September last year and, and drove across it. And um, fantastic bridge. But little did I know that the following month, 
there was going to be floods and there's obviously been an impact, which we'll probably find out what that mm. has been, and it's closed. But, yeah, just a, a really um, amazing structure and it is, as you say, you do go across it thinking, You oh, feel every yes, bit of it. Yes, yeah, yeah, which, which once upon a time you never would have thought about because nearly every bridge you ever went across in the country was a wooden bridge anyway. So it's just so unusual to, to drive over a wooden bridge now. But it was a, a, a usable bridge. It was a bridge that people used every day and it was part of their life. So is there a bridge in your community that needs attention or maybe there's a bridge that is special to you and to the place where you live? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Ed Gannon, who joins you. He's from Media Means and the former editor of The Weekly Times. And we're talking about bridges and bridges of significance. And what happens when that bridge is no longer in operation? How does it affect you and your community? These texts already saying, do you know about the huge fight over the historic bridge half washed away at Beechworth? And another saying, remembering the broken Tasman Bridge in Hobart, immense impact says Trish in Eltham. Was there a bridge, before we get on to Kerwin's, was there a bridge growing up that was significant to you, Ed, maybe that you used every day? Yeah, well, there's a bridge down the road from uh, where I grew up. I grew up in a place called Tanamba. So I'm, I grew up on a dairy farm and we, uh, it's, it's, it's near Mafra, um, we near the McAllister River. And there was a bridge that went across the, it still does, goes across the McAllister River, which we called the Banana Bridge because it was a curved bridge. It was quite an unusual bridge. It's It was a wooden wooden bridge, and but it's a, um, you know, since been upgraded and fixed now, but I've always, the my my bridge of recollection is is the banana bridge i mean the other the other really bridge i really like but i haven't been there that much is the mckillops bridge in far east Gippsland, and that's the really tall it's a metal structure but it's a wooden topped bridge it's it's way way up in the back of the hills of east i don't Gippsland. know that one yeah yeah sort of up near um Dederang up at um tuppet um over the snowy river yep. um yeah, it's an amazing structure for its time but um yeah that, that, they're probably the bridges that i think about when i think of bridges and bridges are i mean not only are they practical but they're tourism draw cards as well, aren't they? Some people will travel. They'll travel to small little towns and communities purely just to, to see and walk over a bridge. Well, you look at the, um, the Barwon Heads Bridge and Sea Change and the uh, and, and how prominently it featured in that show and people go there and still talk about that bridge when they see it as the, as the TV show. So yeah, there, it, is, it is bridges that people go and look at. Well, Kerwin's Bridge is the one that we were talking about and as we said, it has shut. As a part of the floods, it has been closed and it hasn't reopened and for around a 130 years, this heritage-listed bridge has been connecting communities. Now, it's in the Goulburn River, just north of Victoria. And as Ed said, this is one of the longest timber bridges that we have in the state. Jasmine du Ledoux is an Angustown resident, and you have been fighting for that bridge to reopen. How much of an impact is it having on your day-to-day life, Jasmine, not having that bridge open? Uh, it's absolutely huge for us. Um, we're on a six-generation farm um, not far from Kerwin's Bridge and we travel that road or we used to use the bridge three to four times a day, um, sometimes up to five. We've got two teenage children, so we were travelling in and out for school, sport and supplies for our farm. And having the bridge closed it has, has had a huge impact on our family um, with the costs, the time um, and, uh, yeah, just just the time to get across now. It would take us um, normally, say, 10, 12 minutes and now it's taking up to 25 minutes because we're having to use an unsealed road, which is really dangerous. Mm-hmm. What have you been told about the time frame? Uh, we haven't. <laughs> so there's no time frame. We haven't been given any indication as to when it's going to open. Uh, yeah, so none really at all. So we just sort of kept in the dark, really. <laughs> Um, Jasmine, what actually happened to the bridge? Um, it was obviously in the floods in October last year, but what, 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 did the, what did the council say happened to the bridge? Well, in one of their reports, it actually said that it flooded where it didn't flood. The bridge actually didn't flood. So um, they're really saying that it, it needs work or they mentioned about insurance on the bridge um, and mainly that it needs um, maintenance on it, which, you know, years, Every year, they the council do get money to um, look after the bridge, and it hasn't been looked after. But from our point of view, there's no maintenance. There's a little bit of maintenance that needs doing, but apart from that, it was running fine before um, the floods. 
and we look at it now and from the engineer's report it seems fine so we're not sure what the hold up is. Has there been much community consultation? We know, and, and we will speak to the Shire in just a moment, but they always said that they're working closely with the community. We hear those lines a lot when there's something is to be closed or reopened. What sort of consultation has there been, Jasmine? Um, there's, been, there's been a little bit. Um, Alan McLean will probably be able to um, extend a bit further on that. He's a bit more... Um, uh, has a bit more experience with that but um we've had a few little meetings but a lot of it's just been community um consultation that we've got together trying to um talk to them and get answers and we just can't seem to get any answers um about the bridge and why it's closed and when it's going to open i mean we've got um you know elderly people there that you know need um supplies and if we, we worry one resident needed an ambulance and it took um, instead of taking 10, 12 minutes, it took about 40. Um, yeah, so... Having a big impact. Answers. Well, we'll yeah. try our best to get some of those answers for you today, Jasmine. I'm not sure how we'll go. We requested the mayor. They were available and now they're not, but we do have a spokesperson that's going to be joining us a little later. So we'll see what we can do. Okay, great. Jasmine, Jasmine Ledoux, who's a local resident who wants the Kerwin Bridge reopened. And you were just referenced there. So welcome to the studio, Alan McLean. He's a former spokesman for the Kerwin's Bridge Action Group. And it feels like, Alan, you've been rallying for some time over multiple reasons to keep that bridge open. How significant? Let's go back to when it was built and how and why it's such a significant bridge to that community. Goodness, I know it's a conversation now, but we'll need more than that. Uh, 1890, the Goulburn Weir, the largest project ever built in Victoria, was built across the Goulburn River. That pushed water way back upstream. There was a bridge there. But when the water was pushed back, that bridge connected water to land, not land to land. And so even though it was quite young, Kettle's Bridge, it had to be replaced by Kerwin's Bridge, a 300-metre-long, heritage-listed timber bridge built within 12 months, uh, linking the settlement of Kerwin's Bridge to Nagambi, where all the services are, the shops, the schools, the churches, the pubs. Uh, and so it's, it's an extraordinarily important link the heritage aspect is extremely important. It must be protected. And so if you're going to protect it, my theory is it ought to be made, again, trafficable. You guys will have vehicles able to cross it. And in your times at the Weekly Times, how, how many front pages, how many stories, how many reporters have you sent out to Kerwin's Bridge? Look, back at the time, I think it was Alan probably about 12, 13 years ago was the um, was a push to close it um, back then. And there was another point before that. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's been a constant for uh, for a long time. But at that period, there was a, a lot of stories about, about Kerwin's Bridge and it, it, it gained a uh, gained a profile as this, this bridge that's that, that so unusual and and needed to be looked after and, and the, the constant backwards and forwards and the battles between... Um, and as you say, it becomes a political issue. Every time you, you do story it's a political issue so yeah it, it is it was a very prominent but it fed into that whole issue about the state of bridges across the state and then the and the state of roads across the state mm -hmm. it sort of became a bit of a beacon for that sort of um that, that issue and why was it built the way that it was you're talking about the funny 15 degree yeah. change of the angle bend, you get yeah. part way across and it changes the um the the fun theory was that the shire of goulburn used to be on one side the shire of waranga on the other and the two engineers couldn't agree and they started at different angles and they met in the middle. But that's only an apocryphal story. The fact is that they started building it on the side that was the easiest, which was the Kerwin's Bridge Settlement side, uh, where the slopes were easier. When they got to the river channel, the main Goulburn River Channel itself, it's much, much deeper there and they couldn't reach bedrock. And so putting the pylons in, and again, it's built in 1890, so we're not talking about sophisticated equipment, getting those, pylon, uh, those pylons in on a stable base was the issue, and they realised they could only achieve that by shifting the angle across as they do. It now rises up a slope on the Nagambi side uh, mm. onto a road that goes through a cutting. But Ed's right. <laughs> the history of this, goodness, 2001, closed, community action. 2010, 11, closed, community action. Surely we, well, we do now have to win the fight a third time. How do you maintain a bridge that was built in such a specific way, in a way very different to how we would build a bridge now? Do we even have 
the skills? Because this would be something that a lot of communities would be considering and facing now. Do we have the tradespeople, the skills, the time to maintain and build bridges like this? It's the money. Mm. It's the money. It's the funding. It's the funding and when you get involved of of local councils look after some bridges and and, uh, other authorities look after other bridges, it becomes a a, a battle for funds. And particularly with old bridges, there's a lot of maintenance on those bridges, particularly wooden. And one of the big issues is the weight of vehicles nowadays. And you see that... um, Our cars are so big. Yeah, but and Mm. it's the trucks. It's the trucks. So in in Gippsland, an out part of the world where... Um, once upon a time, a milk tanker would travel over these bridges. Now they're B-doubles. And the, the weight of those, and the, the B-doubles would once upon a time go on the major roads, and now they're going to farms to pick up um, pick up milk. And so they're going grain trucks in northwest Victoria, grain trucks in, in the, the, the explosion of grain um, grain production mm. in southwest Victoria, the amount of trucks down there, the timber down in southwest Victoria, the, the blue gum plantations, the amount of trucks for those sorts of things. It's just the, the the pressure that puts on these bridges, and particularly when you get to older bridges, it becomes just it, it's not a skill; it's a funding thing. And then you see how big and how political it becomes, because similar to roads, when we start to talk about uh, road travel and supply chains, and whether or not we should be moving it off roads and onto rail, then you start to see just how big that conversation becomes. Alan McLean is with you, as is Ed Gannon, who's the former editor of the Weekly Times. We're talking about bridges today, and in particular, bridges that connect small communities. Let's have a chat to Cheryl. Cheryl, you, there's another bridge that you wanted to bring into this conversation. Which bridge did you want to talk about? I want to shine a light on the Thorough Bridge, which connects um, to across to Point Hicks, which is in Far East Gippsland. And it, you can go camping over there and um, you need the bridge to get to the camping area. And Can River is a very small community that relies on tourism now that the timber industry is gone, the dairy industry is gone. And um, they thought that bridge was burnt in the 2025s and it hasn't been rebuilt and everyone wants it rebuilt because they need the tourists to come back Mm -hmm. to go camping down at the Thorough Point Hicks. um, You're so right, Cheryl, in that you're being told that your transition in that area is tourism. How vital is it for that bridge to be oh, open. It's, well, it's everyone needs it. They, um, the locals in the Can River, even the Can River um, townships, very small and um, needs the tourists mm. to come back. So, and why are you being? To, what What are you being told about when or if it will be rebuilt? Um, I'm actually not greatly involved with it. I just, um, you just grew want up there. You want and I know it, yeah. But I know it's a, a just, a, again, the Shire, it's just politically being bounced around again. So, um, But I just wanted to bring it to, because I know a lot of Melbourne people used to go and camp Put up there. Put a spotlight there. on it. Cheryl, thank you. And you mentioned the word political. I don't know that particular bridge. Ed, do you know the bridge that she's talking about? No, I don't know that bridge, but I know the sorts of issues that would be surrounding that. Wouldn't that and a lot of that is to do with the size of the population in the in those um, areas in the shires and, and authorities are looking there and say, well, what's our, not our return on investment, but the sort of money that's going to be needed for potentially a tourist Gain, and when you've got other industries not there anymore, and so they would look at that and say, "Look, you know, is it a priority?" And you, and you see that all around the state. But I could I could see exactly that happening there. So communities fighting all across the state to keep bridges open for bridges to be built, they become so political. Is there a bridge in your area that you want reopened, or that you want some focus and attention put onto? This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. And we are talking bridges. Why is it that so many bridges just aren't given the attention and the money that they need? Your co-host today, Ed Gannon, Director of Media Means, the former editor of the Weekly Times. And also joining you in the studio this morning, Alan McLean, who is the former spokesperson for the Kerwins Bridge Action Group. The community rallied about 10, 12 years ago. They are rallying again to reopen that. Before we have a chat to the council about how long it's going to take and why it's being held up. There's a text here that says billion upon billions is being spent on city infrastructure, yet the people in the country have to put up with substandard roads and bridges. There is a round of applause there from Alan. I do hear that all the time. Ed, you would have heard that at the at the weekly. Yeah, for sure. And one of the big problems you had, and Alan just alluded to, to me before, 
safe seats in a lot of a lot of country areas. They're they're well held by one side of politics mainly, and um, so when that side of politics in, they don't pay much a lot of attention to them because they're a safe seat. And when the other side's in, they don't pay a lot of attention to them because they're never going to win them. So it, there is a problem there, and but also too, it comes down to. Yeah, you know, people in departments look at and say, "Well, there's is a lot more um, return on a bridge that a hundred thousand people cross every day, rather than mm-hmm. a bridge that a hundred people cross every day." But they don't realise the 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 impact that that bridge that a hundred people what it has down the track in relation to putting trucks on uh, cars and trucks onto other roads yeah. and in infrastructure and whatnot. It just cascades. And at what point do you need to build a second bridge as well? You know, there was decades and decades of fighting in Achuca for a second bridge to be built. This text here is from Caroline in Ballarat and it says, we always wait hours to get over to Phillip Island as we go over that bridge, as our holiday, as we go into summer. And as someone who grew up spending every summer on Phillip Island. Every time I go over that bridge from San Remo, I think surely they've got to do something to widen this bridge and you don't want to get stuck on the bridge, especially in the heart of summer. Our number's 1300 222 774. You can text as well, 0437 774 774. Alan, why do you think the bridge is not being rebuilt? What, what, what are you being told? Uh, well, the rebuild will cost, as it's indicated, a lot of money. And therefore, the question has to be asked, what would it cost to repair the existing bridge, even though it is 133 years old? Um, The issue really, uh, as far as safety is concerned, that's why the Shire closed that bridge. In the floods of October, um, 14th of October, the water was just still below bridge level, but it was closed. The alternative route into Ngambi was also closed for four days. And so the settlement of Kerwin's Bridge, all the people there, about 160 people, were isolated. And so you can understand why it's a big community issue. If there's another wet winter mm-hmm. and the that same road is flooded again, how's the fire truck going to get there? How's the uh, ambulance going to get there? So just as one component of the community, the frail aged are upset, concerned, worried about what might happen. Well, let's hear from the Strathbogie Shire. Kristen Favaloro is the Executive Manager of Communications and Engagement. Why, Kristen, why is it taking so long for the the bridge to be fixed and reopened? Well, it's... Hi, Rochelle. Hi, Ed and hello, Ellen. It's a challenging issue, isn't it? And I think everyone's really hit the nail on the head when uh, when they say money and funding. Council's currently um, doing a lot of work. We have a community panel in place and we put that panel in place to make sure we had, you know, really strong community input into the future of the bridge. So we're currently working through two options to design and cost that were, um, I suppose, driven and developed by that community panel. And we expect to have that work um, finished really, really soon. So as soon as coming weeks. Um, So then we'll be in a position that we actually know how much it's going to cost and we can start our advocacy work to state and federal governments. Kristen, what what actually happened to the bridge uh, in the floods? What what is the damage that's been caused? Uh, um, I probably can't outline the damage, you know, as as an engineer. I am not an engineer. We have had um, two reports done into its structural integrity um, and they've certainly both found that um, it's not safe to have um, motor vehicles over until further investigations have been undertaken. So what investigation has been undertaken? And can I also ask you to spoke about the panel. Who's on the panel? Uh, The panel we went out for, um, I suppose, public, uh, out to the public and asked people to put up their hands. So I think there's about 15 to 20 local residents on that panel at the moment. Um, now, there was another and question. Yeah, and the, so you were, you were told, of the, uh, you were advised as to why to not run it. So what were you told would happen? Oh, obviously, they feel that it's too dangerous to have a three-tonne load limit on it at the moment. Mm-hmm. And a part of that work with the panel will also help us understand what needs to be done to reopen it. So... Two options for the future are, one, a new replica bridge with pedestrian and cycling access, or the other option is extensive structural repairs. So that work that we're doing right now will tell us what needs to be done to make it safe to reopen. It's been some time though, hasn't it? It sure has. Um, And of course, we started that work with the panel um, quite a long time ago. 
because we recognised that there needed to be work done to ensure a sustainable long-term future for that bridge. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, October last year, you know, major floods through the area. And so then to make sure um, that it was safe to reopen, mm-hmm. we had to get um, our insurance company to do a, uh, a structural report and that found it was unsafe. Yeah, I mean, you would have thought that maybe those reports would have come back pretty early on and that there's been a lot of time since. But I'm wondering, what's the actual likelihood of that becoming, did you say like a pedestrian and cycle bridge and not being used for, for cars at, or for trucks at all? How likely is that? No, sorry, that's not one of the options. Okay. It's a new replica bridge with pedestrian and cycling okay. access as well. So at the moment, there isn't a, you know, a lane, I suppose, that people can walk or cycle over safely. Have you got any time frame that you can give Alan, you know, Jasmine, for anyone that lives in that, we're hearing that ambulances are taking 40 minutes instead of 15. If you've got a carer in the area or you work picking up kids from school, whatever it may be. It's a huge inconvenience. We know that people's safety is paramount. But do you have any idea of how long this is going to take? Our, um, I suppose our goal has always been that we'll work really strongly with the community. We know we have better chance of success when we work with them on advocacy for funding. Um, so when we know exactly how much that's going to be, we'll be able to, uh, I suppose, I want to say ramp up our efforts, but we have already started. So... Um, Kerwin's Bridge is in our advocacy top five ask. Our mayor has been in Canberra meeting with um, politicians and ministers. We've had ministers and local representatives at the bridge to show them as well. So while I can't provide timeframes, we're certainly working very hard on it. So, so, uh, Kristen, if if the bridge is either repaired or there's a replica bridge built... How is that funded? How does mm. h- how much does the council put in? Where do you get the funds? Or do you have to go to, as you say, in the, uh, to Canberra? I mean, how will how will that get funded? We absolutely will need state and federal government funding to be able to do that work. Um, we have also looked at we're currently looking at some grants that might have been are available for flood recovery and all those sorts of things. So there's certainly options out there. And we are certainly trying really hard to make sure we can secure some money for for those upgrades. Kristen, thanks for your time. No problem. Kristen Favaloro is the Executive Manager of Communications and Engagement with the Strathbogie Shire Council. We had asked for the Mayor, who was unavailable. Just finally, Alan McLean, are you happy with that response? Oh, no, you, you can't be happy. The community panel was established a couple of years ago, but hasn't met since March. And... Um, that's why you've got this community action group, this committee that's working now. The residents have, have uh, become stressed, concerned about the situation. The alternative route into town too, the Shires announced on three occasions that it was going to be upgraded and it's a dangerous single lane in parts, unsealed road. And Jasmine may have mentioned, I didn't hear her earlier, but she may have mentioned how dangerous that road mm. is in a fog, in dust. And so uh, I can't be happy with that situation. Nobody can. I pleasingly no longer live there. I was there for 21 years and experienced the two closures. Um, but it's now the people who live there I'm concerned about. They need to have confidence that the road plan is correct. There's been questions asked about it. What width, what speed limit, what weight limits. There's lots of questions that the Shire needs to have answered well before now. That's what concerns me. And I also wonder where the, the skill will come from you know who has the skill and the expertise to to fix bridges like this now because it's not just i mean there's texts coming in from similar bridge stories all across the state when you think 1890 horse and dray timber pylons carted out of the forest nearby and a bridge constructed inside a year for a half a dozen farmers and some timber cutters they used to cross um the old bridge that was discontinued, bringing their timber into Nagambi to be put on the train to come to Melbourne. Mm. Half a dozen timber cutters. Now, there's 160 people there now. Surely, if, if, if the technology could be found to build a bridge then, let's compare it to the technology available now. And if it was only servicing that number of people then compared to the people now, and it's not just local. This is a tourism bridge also. Mm. It's um, neighbouring towns to the north, Rushworth, Murchison, 
they send, they, if they're coming to Melbourne, they need to use the bridge. Is this not a local issue? It's a statewide issue. And it was interesting to hear you call it from Far East Gippsland on the same sort of thing. Yeah, well, people are saying there's a bridge at Junction on Great Ocean Road and Wild Dog Road in Apollo Bay. That needs a rebuild as well, says Peter. Alan, we appreciate your insights, but also to your passion on this because it takes, you know, passionate locals to keep infrastructure like this alive because I didn't know too much about this bridge until I started to research today and it is beautiful. You have to go and see it. I am. You have to I'm see going. It's on my list. A bridge that changes 15 <laughs> degrees. It's over the wetlands of the Goulburn River. It's magnificent bird life. You may see brogas. Oh. Michelle, you've got to go. All right, done. Alan, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Alan McLean is the former spokesperson for the Kerwin Bridge Action Group. Ed Gannon with you in the studio as well. He's from Media Means and the former editor of the Weekly Times. Is there a bridge in your community that needs attention? This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Michelle Hunt and Ed Gannon with you. We are talking bridges. And I have to say, Ed, I'm going to admit something here that I thought about, do I get a little bit of music today, you know, Bridge Over Troubled Water? And I just, I couldn't bring myself to play it because the song is just so hideous. No. But it really says something. There's trouble. Wherever there's bridge... There's trouble and there's politics. It's, a, it's, it's, it's over the gap. It's uniting the gap. That's why they always feature in those sorts of things because when it falls apart, the, the gap can't be bridged. <laughs> there's so many puns that we've tried to sidestep around today that we've done very well. This is interesting, talking about the bridge from San Remo that connects you to Phillip Island. Phillip Island needs a ferry that takes cars more than it needs a bridge one. The issue is that there's only one way on and off the island and all of the bottlenecks. And the use of ferries is interesting, isn't it? And could they be used more? And then that's just something else. I feel like as a reporter here for nearly 20 years at the ABC, I've covered so many we should have a ferry conversations and it never happens. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got the passenger ferry from um, f- from Geelong to Melbourne. It comes in every morning and, and I'm not sure how its, it's patronage is nowadays. I know it was a bit, bit um, light on at the start, but I think it's got there. But it, it's not a main main avenue and, and, and things like Phillip Island, like a, a ferry over Phillip Island, when you, there is peak periods for that and there's not peak periods mm. for that. And so how do, you, how do you account for the fact that there may be days when there's... It, you may actually not need it. And, so, and who pays for it? Right? Yeah, so if locals are paying yeah, for it but yeah. it's only for tourist times do, the rest of the year, or yeah, do you, you put like a toll? Yeah, you feel like a bit of a broken record but you come back to cost all the time yeah. and who actually funds these things? Jamie Duggan is the manager of Breakaway Twins Caravan Park. Now, this caravan park is located sort of about an hour and a half out of Melbourne, about 6Ks from Alexandra Township on the Goulburn River and it's just near Acheron, which as we said is in the northeast. Now, you have been fighting like so many other communities and waiting for repairs for what is I guess the wooden trestle bridge where you are at Breakaway Bridge. What, what, how is it impacting you and your business, Jamie? Um, good morning. Thanks for having us on. You're welcome. How's the, how is the bridge not being fixed impacting your business? Uh, so the 6Ks to Alexandra is now about 15 so as I'm not sure you're aware, so over the bridge is the uh, waste management plant. That's where we take all of our garbage and recyclables from sites. So now we actually have to go the longer way around and it's affecting us, obviously, with fuel, um, the extra keys and stuff like that. So staff going out of the park for longer periods instead of just going a five-minute trip across the bridge. It's now a 15 to 20-minute trip all the way back into town, all the way up the main street and then back the other way. Is it impacting business? Are you finding that people aren't checking in to the caravan park or they've got lots of questions and concerns around it? Um, so a lot of concerns. At first, obviously, in December, January, we had a lot of calls and people being stuck on the other side of the bridge looking at the park and we had to explain to them that you'll have to go back on the Maroondah Highway and go back through the town and then you'll see us up on the left. Um, but no, I don't think it's impacting as much with tourists um, as such mm. because they'll just come but it's impacting other businesses so we're right across the road from a, a gallery a painting gallery um, and yeah people usually would go from our park over to there for like a dinner and some painting. Uh, Jamie is the bridge actually um, physically damaged you can see the damage to it because I have seen a picture oh. it looked mm. like it actually is as one end of it's fallen off is that, yeah. is that, is that how badly it is? Yeah, so it's not actually the bridge that's fallen off. It's the um, land on that side that's been corroded away. 
Yeah, so there's going to be a substantial cost, you think, and time um, to actually repair that or replace it. Um, you got any idea or been told of what, what, what's happening and how long that possibly would take? So we've been told of the like what's been happening as in like the steps they've got to take um, and they've put about a three-year limit on on work to be completed so a bridge is up and going. Well, we'll try and get some answers for you, Jamie. Thank you. Thanks. See, um, Jamie Duggan there, who's the manager of Breakaway Twins Caravan Park, and listening to this has been the Mayor of the Murrindindi Shire, John Walsh. John, good morning. How long is it going to take to get this Breakaway Bridge up and functioning again? Because as Ed said, when you look at images of it, it does look like half of the bridge has fallen into the water, but from what Jamie's told us, it's sort of happened the other way around where the, water's, the, the, the land has fallen away. How long is this going to take, or can it be fixed? Uh, good morning, Rochelle and uh, Ed. Um, let me just correct something from Jamie. There, uh, there was some damage to the bridge itself. The northern abutment and one of the spans were uh, wiped out. And then at the same time, the northern bank was severely eroded as the river tried to find and did find its original course that was filled in some uh, oh, almost 100 years ago we found out and so we've got uh, the case of if we restore a bridge it won't be just one that's the same length that what was there before but it's going to be about another 30 or 40 meters have to be that mm. extra length so how much uh, you got any idea of cost mm. and time for to to do that sort of work we're aiming to try and get things done, as uh, Jamie mentioned, within three years. And I know that sounds an awfully long time, especially those people who are stuck either side of the, the broken bridge. Three years, did you say? It. Wow. Yes. Now, when you look at the complexity of the, the whole job, um, we've even got other factors right at this moment that are delaying things. One of the things we can't find out at the moment is the strength of the foundations of the existing portion of the bridge and the reason we can't find that out is because the water that's being let out from Eildon is currently running at uh, 12.5 or 12,500 megalitres which means it's uh, right at the height of the banks and so we can't assess what's going on at the uh, foundations. Is there a possibility you would look at that bridge and say we actually can't do anything with Mm. this? We, we actually, it's going to cost too much, too much time. We're going to have to, to remove it. Is that a possibility? They're, they're the things that we've got to try and find out and just determine which way we go. There's a, a series of options. We could say, yep, we just can't can't do anything with it. And uh, But then the other question, we say, well, what do we do with the rest of the bridge? It's always been a strong tourist attraction. It's always been a favourite uh, spot for fishing, fishing off the bridge there. Uh, and so that might be a continual use if we can't actually repair it as a, in yeah. total as a bridge. We then need to look and say, well, what are the other options in providing a bridge across the river? And uh, we've uh, just got to go through that whole process. Because as I say, it's been delayed at the moment because we can't get an accurate picture of what the foundations are like. And I wonder how locals feel. It's sort of, if, I guess, if you make the comparison of renovating a, a beautiful old house, at some point someone says to you, look, it's not worth it. You're better off knocking this house down. You'll and, discover problems during the renovation. And you're better off building something new, but you have an emotional connection because it's so beautiful. Do you have that same issue, John Walsh, with this breakaway bridge in that it might just be better to build a new bridge? Because, I mean, three years is a long time. You could build a new bridge in half that. Well, uh, we might be able to build a new bridge in half that time if firstly if all the money was available and secondly if the skills were available as some of your earlier callers have mentioned uh, funding is an issue with all of these bridges and the other thing is too that uh, there's limited skills available in the state at a time when there's high demand so that's why we've said it could take up to that length of time the the real issue there is we need to sit down with the community and go through thoroughly what all the options are and f- together with the costs and then to, between the, uh, the community and ourselves we can then present a case back to the state government and say well this is how we see the thing going these are the costs these are the benefits and be able to present a sensible argument to 
get an outcome. So, John, is this the only bridge that was affected in your shire mm. in those floods or, or is there a number of them that you're having to look at? And then how much money does the shire have allocate each year for even maintenance or repair yeah. for this sort of thing? And then, you know, it, it, what's the situation at the moment? Okay, after the floods, we had uh, 42 bridges that we had to repair. Uh, this one, and uh, as some people would think was ironic, uh, there's one on our local, my local road that's being repaired at the moment. So this breakaway is the only one that's completely not trafficable, and we've addressed all the others. With respect to the amount of budget we have for bridge repair, uh, again, it varies each year because we look at the lifetime of a bridge and we adjust our budget according to those bridges that need maintenance coming down the track. And also, in a case like this, we're still waiting to be able to put a firm case back to the state government to understand how much money they'll be able to contribute, or even perhaps the Commonwealth government, mm. because clearly in this case, one of the things we have to do is a, a term we use in local government of building back better, and uh, because the bridge, the gap has increased by at least 30 metres, we'll definitely have to build back better. Well, we're about to speak to Infrastructure Victoria, so they might be able to let you know sort of where funds are going and how likely that is. John, thanks for your time and your insights. We appreciate it. Not at all, Rochelle. It's the Mayor of the Murrindindi Shire Council. And, I mean, when you look at climate change, is something we haven't even added to this conversation, Ed, when John was talking about, okay, well, the river started to move in a way it did 100 years ago. We're going to start to see changes like that and it's going to start to affect bridges that were built 100, 150 years ago. Well, you, you look at the amount of um, damage that's been caused by the, the wet that we've had in October last year to, to roads, particularly sides of roads, but also to prolonged dry periods have an effect on roads because of and, and, and other infrastructure. And how drastic it is. Like yeah. we've just gone from floods and now we're talking about a record dry summer that's yeah. coming around. So it's so extreme to go from one to the next and infrastructure can only handle so much of that. Yeah, and it's, it's, and it's the, the extremes that, that are going to make the big difference to these sorts of things and, and, and whether that infrastructure like roads and bridges can actually handle that sort of condition. Kerry and Lang Warren says, this is such a great conversation about bridges. What was the name of that bridge that the Action Group spokesperson was referring to? I want to add it to my list of must-see bridges. The fact that Kerry has a list of must-see bridges, <laughs> I absolutely love. But it was the Kerwins Bridge, which is just near Nagambi. Dr Jonathan Spear is Infrastructure Victoria's Chief Executive Officer. Jonathan, it is inevitable when we talk about bridges as small and beautiful and as historic as they are to how big and vital they are, they're all political, aren't they? Well, good morning, Michelle. There is, we certainly need to be prioritising where we spend our resources on roads and bridges, maintenance and upgrades. There's about... 19,000 kilometres of arterial and freeways just in regional Victoria and about 3,000 bridges in regional Victoria. So we, we can't treat them all the same way. We need to have some approach by which we prioritise, which are going to get upgraded and, and maintained. And, and as you were just speaking about, as we face more extreme weather events, both um, from floods and, and other forms of wild weather, this is going to be an increasingly challenging Mm. Um, approach for us in Victoria. We know that roads and fixing roads in regional Victoria has been a long-standing issue and causes a lot of pain and heartache and unfortunately sometimes death and injury for regional Victorians. They've been fighting for road upgrades. When we talk about bridge upgrades, does it fall just into road infrastructure or does it, ha does it have to come out of road money? I mean, excuse my ignorance here, but is there separate money that's put aside for bridge? Well, generally they're considered together because, of course, roads and bridges operate um, as one part of a system. The Victorian government, its last budget, uh, committed $2.8 billion towards uh, road maintenance and renewal, including flood recovery, uh, and that's over the next 10 years. So, so, the, so there is funding that's been allocated. The big question is where should it get prioritised? And... Uh, in Infrastructure Victoria's view, uh, we think that there's really three key areas. So one is road safety. That's clearly a big priority for uh, regional Victoria in particular. 
The second thing is productivity. So that making sure that especially freight routes that are mm. getting the um, <clears throat> goods to market that is so important for regional Victorian economies that those are prioritised so that that can really help build with the thriving Victorian economy. And, and the third is actually emissions reduction because vehicle emissions are about 20% of the state's emissions. And so that is an important part when we make sure that the um, roads and bridges are upgraded, that we've got an eye to making sure that our uh, emissions are reduced as well. So those those three things, right, in productivity, road safety and emissions reduction serve as kind of three priority areas which we then can look at, well, which roads or which bridges get mm. um, um, held to what service standard? Because the standard that you maintain a regional highway or freeway, for example, is different to the standard you need for a small, narrow road just servicing a few properties. And the reality is we have to make trade-offs about that. And and those sort of three three principles give us a way to do that. How do you then, though, prioritise? Okay, we were talking about the breakaway bridge and, you know, John was saying, well, we need money. This is going to take us three years. Is it about, I mean, who rises to the top of getting the most money or to being seen to being fixed first? How do you prioritise? Is it about that local community is it a i mean i wouldn't even know how you begin to figure out who gets it and who doesn't well the way that we think about it is to think about what is the different service level that each road and bridge needs to provide to the community so again using that example of the service level that a freeway has is a much higher service level and demand than a narrow uh rarely used rural road and of course there's all sorts of gradations in between so if you take an approach of thinking about what is the level of service that each road and bridge needs, that can then give you um, a, a, a rational evidence-based approach to funding uh, upgrades and, and also maintenance. And then the other piece, of course, is that there's always an opportunity to, to build back better. And I think your previous call yeah. was talking about that too. And we are very much of that view as well, which is when we are rebuilding or upgrading roads and bridges, we uh, do have an opportunity to make sure that the, the surfaces that, that we're using to, to construct them or the level of drainage around them is done in a way that, um, makes the road much more resilient and keeps those service levels up for the community so that the next time a bit of wild weather comes, we're not back rebuilding it all over again. So, Jonathan, how do you tackle the service level when you have, say in the case of the Kerwins Bridge residents, when they were had a, had a bridge to a certain level and onto a certain road in certain condition, but now they've lost that and they're on a different road condition and they've got a different they've got a different service level because they're, they're driving on say unsealed roads that are, that are dangerous you know is there a point where you say well because that's happened you're going to have to accept a, a lower standard of road or service is, is that coming to your thinking as well well each community needs to have a level of service and 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 i think if we think about what does that community need to be safe and what's productive for their economy um then that's a good start and so um that kerwin's bridge of course is quite an unusual example it's a beautiful amazing bit of victoria's heritage and it is heritage listed so that of course makes it a bit trickier but um you know the, when we're thinking about the way in which that community needs to be able to have access to um, safe travel, um, in particular, that would seem to be one of the areas to prioritise. Yeah, that's, oh gosh, you can start to see when you start to pull away at this why and how it gets so complicated. Jonathan, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Dr. Jonathan Spears is the CEO of Infrastructure Victoria and Ed Gannon, I mean, what you just mentioned there is, okay, all right, that bridge is not safe. Where does it fit into the list of priorities for council funding, state funding? But then, as you just said, what's the route that locals are taking and what then occurs with that safety? As you say, unsealed growth, bad lighting, you've got wildlife, the extra time that it takes, the wear and tear on those particular roads and the communities there. Well, and, and also two things like the, the three points you talked about, road safety, productivity and emissions reduction, productivity. So if you have an area that had a bridge and it's not there anymore, well, that area loses out on future opportunity for 
productivity gains. Yeah. So an enterprise might say, actually, we were I'm not going to go there. Yeah, we're going to set up a, a, a big hothouse and grow a lot of tomatoes and, and we're not going to do it there because we can't get our trucks because we've got a driver on these roads and not. So you lose those future opportunities as well. So it doesn't sort of get affected. As you say, just cascades and cascades yeah. this issue. And it's how long it takes and it's not just how long it takes to build the actual road. The And I'm using my little air quotes here. The consultation process is taking... I would think, too long just to make some decisions. Make some decisions and start rebuilding the thing. You know, the, the, the three years, we've put a limit of three years for the breakaway bridge. I reckon the three years is probably going to be until they work out what they're going to do. And that's that's, that's the, the concern. And that's the way it works. Ian's in Castlemaine. Morning. Good morning. What bridge did you want to talk about? Uh, there's a small bridge behind the Botanic Gardens in Castlemaine. It's on Froome's Road, so we call it the Froome's Road Bridge. Mm-hmm. And quite so some in 2019, there was an attempt by the council. Well, no, that's unfair. Um, the council decided that that bridge needed to be replaced and they're going to put in a double lane bridge instead. Um, they didn't realise that there was a massive community feeling that the area needed to be preserved. And we fought a campaign for four years wow. to try and preserve that bridge went to two separate council votes, both of which we won, and that bridge is still there now, although we do know they're supposed to be repairs, but the repairs have stalled completely since we won the last council vote. Oh, that's a shame to hear that. But I mean, I'm so glad to hear that you, you won and that that bridge, you know, is being protected because it's what the community wants, Ian. But I'm, you know, saddened to hear that it hasn't been upkept since. You know what else I've found fascinating today, Ed, is, and I'm sure lots of local communities would realise this, you probably don't know how much you love that bridge <laughs> until something happens to it. Yeah. Or someone says they're going to take it away and then you think, hang on a second, I didn't realise that bridge yeah. is important. They don't, they don't call roads and bridges arteries for nothing Yeah, because once you lose it, you're really, you're in a lot of world of pain. Text on this, add McKillop's Bridge in Gippsland to your list of historic places to build, uh, to visit. And another, I live in Clyde. We have the oldest little bridge access on one side of our town. I would actually love the bridge to fall down so people can't use my town as a cut through and do so at 120 k's per hour past my house to save some time. It's only a 50 k zone. I want that bridge knocked down. You don't hear that one very often, <laughs> do you? <laughs> that one very often either. It comes down to there's more and more traffic on roads nowadays. Yeah, there is. And that's when we say, okay, well, then that's when it becomes a really, really big conversation. And I wonder, and as we've heard from two councils today, how much they go out and spruik, well, we're going to, as a part of our work or as a way to elect me, we're going to maintain a bridge. It doesn't probably get you votes, does it? No, it doesn't. And maintaining a bridge, you, you, you don't have a big ceremony and cut a ribbon when you maintain a bridge. No. You get for a new one, you do it, but it doesn't happen the other way around. So it's, it's, it's not a sexy subject. And also, too, councils don't say that much because they know that they can't. Mm. They can't do it to all of their bridges because they're funding and you know, then it becomes another issue about rate rises, which we haven't even spoke about the amount of rates that council that, that um ratepayers pay and you we you know, that's another issue altogether. But you know, they don't they can't spruik that because they can't do it. We started today talking about Kerwin's bridge. When you were the editor of the Weekly Times, you were covering it back then. We're still discussing it today. Are you confident that that bridge will be restored in a way that the community is happy about? Well, one of the issues that come out of today is we still actually don't know what happened to the bridge and how badly damage it is because no one can quite tell that because they're still investigating it so I, I, I'd have to leave that one open because you just don't know I'm going to go look at it though all right yeah, because it has a, a turn that yeah. I knew nothing about for sure Ed Gannon director of Media Means former editor of the Weekly Times thank you so much you want to come back and hang out again sometime soon oh yeah I might as well why not